Uh, hey there, I'm, I'm calling it about uh, Recticon uh, 2020X. Uh, I'm trying to uh, fill an application to be a vendor there. I'm seeing here though that uh, the minimum requirements are 5,000 feet and uh, 28 different species that the players can play for any games to be uh, sold on Recticon. Is, is that accurate? Uh, do those 5,000 feet all have to be unique or can they be part of like a, a longer feet tree? Uh, uh, let me know because uh, I'm working on some extra feats right now. Um, um, chewing bubble gum, that, that, would, that would be a feat, I think. Uh, anyways, uh, get back to me. Well, pop yourself a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said, I'll start with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today is listener calls, all listener calls, all the time. Next show will be a content show, and then we'll have a listener call show when we rotate back and forth. But for this one, let's get into that mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke put by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. These first couple calls are from Taylor of the Clerics Wear Ringmail blog, podcast, and apparently now YouTube channel, which qualifies him for media empire status. And these calls are what inspired the title of the episode. So let's hear what Taylor has to say. Hey Jason, this is Taylor of Clericsware Ringmail, calling in to talk about uh, turn order. One of the tricks I Take picked exit up- Take exit 35B. While taking exit 35B from uh, Jason Hobbs over of Kalmatha fame, party token. So during exploration aspects, the people playing don't actually have their tokens for combat available. Those tokens become available when a combat occurs, and combat is strict turn order, but when in exploration there's only one token, it represents the whole party, and if a player has it, uh, or has control of it, it's the caller of the game. That's one way to make sure nobody's ever left in the dark, and it's a good way to ensure that the group sticks together unless they intentionally split up at which point you would need a second caller, I guess. Hey, Taylor. Yeah, that's a good idea. And Arlen has us doing that. When we explore and we're out in the wilderness and stuff like that, we do just have one party token. What happened in that adventure down in the dungeon is we had a combat, so we had our individual tokens, and then we kept exploring the dungeon. And because it was a dungeon and we you know, were effectively going combat to combat, we stayed with individual tokens. So we, so we didn't immediately switch back the expiration token. But but we do use that in that game, and that's a great feature, and I do hardly recommend other people make use of that to cut down on confusion. 
in response to Arlen's call, talking about how the GM should take a moment to use a sort of GM X card and pause to try to defuse situations and keep the game moving. I think that's less of a safety tool and more of a referee responsibility uh, to kind of pause the game, just like just like a referee at a football game would when some when a foul's happening and get get play back on track. So that's less of an X card and more of a D card. So whenever you have something going shy as a uh, referee, just bam, give them the D. Pause that game and get them back on track. This next set of calls has to do with a format change I've recently instituted where on Wednesday and Saturday I do a show that's all content. Game reviews, session reports, what I've been watching, Gaming theory, unboxings, although the gaming theory I might back off a little bit for a little while. But then on Thursday and Sunday I'll have a a show with all listener calls if I have enough listener calls to do that. Of course, last episode I broke that mold to put a bunch of listener calls in there, but that was a special case. I am going to try to keep this format in the future. And here's the feedback from the listeners about the format. Hey, Jason, dude, I, I admire you for trying to keep a podcast schedule, man. It is, it's tricky, very, very tricky. And I have recently been inundating people with a mountain of episodes. So I get it. It's hard when you get a bunch of call-ins. Like if there's someone who calls and leaves a ton of messages for you, Jason, uh, yeah, man, (laughs) like you want to get those messages out. And then sometimes you'll forget and not play somebody's messages. And then they'll be like, hey, did you not get my messages? And then you feel really bad about it. So anyway, man, I wish you the best of luck. Can you tell I'm in a bigger house? (laughs) I feel like I'm a lot more echoier. My mom's house is pretty sweet. Anyway, dude, I hope you're doing well. I look forward to all your episodes as always whenever they come out. Peace out. Hey there, Jason. It's Johnny from the Red Dice Diaries. Just started listening to your episode 254. And I've got to say, I like the sound of the format you're proposing with having content episodes and voicemail episodes clearly sort of delineated and separated. It's something we've been doing on Red Dice Diaries for a little bit, and I know other podcasts have done. And I think just having like a clearly defined voicemail episode, like you say, it stops it from getting in the way of the more sort of like I suppose original slash content episodes, and again, it allows the the listeners to make an informed choice about prioritising their listening and stuff like that. So that sounds all good to me. I'm probably going to drop you a response about narrative mechanics when I've finished listening to the episode. I might send you it on Discord, depending on how long and rambly my response is. Anyway, I'm going to get back to it, dude. Keep up the good work, and I'll catch you soon. Oh, also on the final note. Um... You were asking for feedback, so I shall give it to you. Uh, you know, I, I think your format is really good. Um, that There was one episode that was really, really good, and I feel like if you just used that format all the time, you would be, you know, uh, producing probably the 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 best podcast ever. Um, I think that was 252. I have to look, but it was very, very good. Very, very good episode. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, sticking with that format is, is probably going to work for you. Um, so, yeah. So I do, I do have a format question here. Um, uh, I'm calling in about the call-in show. So do call-ins about call-ins get put on a show that's the next day after the call-in show, the sort of the call-in call-in show? Or do the call-ins get put into the show after the content show 
even though it's a Colin from the Colin show. Uh, I'd be curious about that. Army hearties. That was the most villainous group of scallywags ever to sail a schooner. Captain Joe Richter of the Hindsightless. Captain John Allen Large of the Red Dice Diaries Media Empire. And of course the Dread Pirate Daniel Norton of Bandit's Keep. To answer Daniel's question, I'll put the calls wherever I damn will please. Now walk the plank, you skellywag. Hey, Jason. So I'm calling in about the mindset of playing different species and role-playing games. I meant to call in earlier, but I was all jacked up from the dentist, so it sort of slipped my mind. Um, you're talking about how a lot of players just play dwarves, elves, whatever, as humans with pointy ears or whatnot, and they don't inhabit those other species' mindset. My question is, what is those other species' mindset? How do we know what their mindset is? We don't. We are all just humans. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that you can inhabit another species' mindset uh, without making it mostly seem just like a modified human, since we are all human. And yeah, we I, I, we just don't know what those other species' mindset would be. That's me. Peace out. Hey, Joe. I think that's a valid point. But if we don't try, then elves are just pointy-eared humans and dwarves are just short humans with superpowers. And, you, you know, so if, if we're not going to try to play them with a different mindset, then we're just playing a superhero game by playing these other species which interestingly enough when we go back and look at it Gygax there's a famous quote I've put it up on the audio dungeon discord before uh, this was originally found or pointed out to me at least by Ray Otis of Plundergrounds fame but Gygax originally said that the demi-humans what they used to call your other species were consolation prizes when you rolled bad attributes I know you're not big into the whole 3D6 down line random attribute thing, but if you roll those your randomized attributes and you get a bad roll, then you get to pick a demi-human as a consolation prize and you get all those cool powers because you have sucky attributes. That was the original intent back in the day. Now, that's obviously changed many times over the years, and it's changed quite a bit, but originally, you know, like the mid-70s, that was something Gygax wrote about and how he viewed the demi-humans or the different species. RictorCon 2020X <gasps> It's so big. Meet the staff. My name is Forever Mon, the project manager for RictorCon 2020X. I'm Daniel. The underwriter of RictorCon 2020X. It's not just the greatest RPG convention in the world. There are also seminars. Carl Rodriguez teaches the history of metal. Daniel Norton teaches how to change your mind every five minutes. And Taylor from the famous Clerics Where Ringmail Media Empire makes a guest appearance to teach how to be an antagonistic dungeon master. Finally, Joe Richter himself will teach a class how to make a soup fit for a king. Remember, 
RichterCon 2020X. It's so big. This next set of calls has to do with troop play in an ongoing discussion we've been having on how hard it is to do troop play. And the definition I'm using is when you have multiple characters, not at the same time, but you switch characters throughout the game that have different knowledge and keeping that knowledge, character knowledge, separate. Hey, Jason, just listening to the conversation about troop play, and I have to say, uh, when you mentioned troop play, I I agree with your definition. That's exactly what I'm thinking of, playing different characters at different times within the same campaign. And I was doing this in Dave Aldridge's Black Hat campaign. I had uh, different characters at different areas of the map, and in one session when I was playing one character, a rumour was going around that my other character had been seen in that location. And I had to point out to the GM that that character had never been to that location, to that town. Um, so, you know, this stuff isn't just on the players. And this kind of rumour led to, um, well, the, the idea that there was a doppelganger of my character wandering around. So that was interesting. Uh, the melodious tones of Spencer, also known as Free Thrall, of Keep Off the Borderland podcast. Thank you, sir. I, too, remember that game, and it was a wonderful game run by Dave Aldrich of the now-defunct Deep Percentile podcast. We used the Black Hack, and, you know, Dave did a long-running game with the Black Hack with troop play, something many people would try to tell you you can't do with a light set of rules. So... Anyhow, our next caller doesn't totally agree with us on true play. This is BJ of the Arcane Alienist. Hey, Jason. <clears throat> on the true play, maybe I missed uh, missed something in the conversation, but have any of you guys ever actually watched Law & Order? <laughs> the lawyers in the second half of the show do know everything the police know because they're prosecuting, prosecuting a case based on what the, the evidence the police gathered in the first half of the show. So if you're talking about, you know, a game where you send some scouts out to investigate the side of a dungeon and gather some intelligence, and then you switch over to now we're bringing in the tanks, the fighters, and the paladins, and the, you know, wizards with fireballs to kick in the door and kill the monsters and run out the evil cult or whatever it might be. That's, if you're doing troop play like that, that's what Law & Order would be like. You know, it's, it's not like you're running... My, my understanding of your description is that you're... It's not that you're simultaneously running two characters at the same time, but that they're certainly probably affiliated with some larger organization, and they would share information back and forth. Now, you could put yourself in a really binding situation where one party gets lost and another party has to go rescue it, and then you may have some double knowledge. But I'm kind of assuming that if they're all part of the same organization, they're hearing each other's recaps and report outs and debriefings of what they've done so that when a a different group of characters maybe picks up and and acts you know on what the the previous group had done they're doing it in an informed way where they have most of the details and and they're not just walking in blind going well you know bob said this dungeon was pretty dangerous i wonder if he was right no they're going to know everything bob found in there because he's going to tell them and prep them for their mission anyway that's what i understood troop play to be BJ, where I am, the TV has three channels. The Law & Order channel, 
the CSI channel, and the NCIS channel. So that's not Jason's channels, but that's what the TV ends up being on. Have I watched Law & Order? Yes. Have I watched the show where Jack McCoy twists the law for his own personal vendettas, making poor Abby Carmichael look like he crushed her favorite dollhouse into splinters, making his bosses, Arthur Branch, played by now-deceased U.S. Senator and Republican presidential hopeful Fred Thompson, and Adam Schiff, played by the amazing Stephen Hill, look disgusted at Jack's, like I say, his twisting of the law for his own personal means. Yeah, I've watched Law & Order. You're talking about where they share information with each other in the show? We're talking about the same show where Cyrus Lupo sleeps with a witness who, spoilers, turns out to be the suspect and withholds that from the court so it helps scuttle their case? Or we talk about multiple episodes where detectives don't give all the evidence to the DA because they're protecting somebody or protecting their own interests? Yeah, I've watched Law & Order. Okay, that was maybe a little aggressive on my part, but there are many cases in Law & Order where evidence is not shared and information is not shared and the DAs are surprised by what comes out of the police officers' mouths on the bench. So it's very easy to imagine troop play situation where one group doesn't get all the information from the other group and is surprised at a detail that was left out that might prove a little more important than the first group thought. But let's go on to finish what BJ had to say. All right, I pulled a Daniel. I I didn't finish listening to your comments before I called in. Yeah, you're talking about um, kind of the same thing I'm talking about there. Very good. Talk to you later. Ah, BJ, you fell victim to the old Daniel method. Next thing, you'll be calling into shows about other shows' titles, listening to one show halfway, and then calling a different show about the first show's content. Yes. Once Norton gets his claws into you, it's hard to escape. Hey, Jason, Paul here. Thanks for playing in the 13 Age game that I ran. I probably should have called it a thank you before this, but it's been a hell of a week uh, this past week at work. So I won't necessarily get into a full recap of that game here, but the main thing I, I just wanted to say, you know, this is a follow-on to to our conversation on your show and actually a bit to Spencer's comments as well, just about this experience of diving back into role-playing in this particularly uh, aggressive and potentially painful way, is that it was worth it in terms of the psychological effects. So when I said down to run that 13th age game, uh, I really was not stressed about the process. So as I said in the show, it was sort of three days of just total anxiety leading up to that first game I ran, about a day leading up to the second, and about three hours leading up to the third. And so a week later, when I sat down to run that 13th age game, I was you know, fairly set to go. I knew things might not go smoothly, but those mechanics, uh, the idea about whether I could pull this off or not, I knew that I could. And so uh, I'm back in the saddle again. 
and I'd also like to say thanks very much for jumping into those games with me and riding along in the posse. Hey, Paul, thanks so much for the call. I talked to Paul. We actually did an interview in episode 251 of this very podcast. Go back and listen to it. You get to hear about Paul's hiatus from gaming and why when he came back, he decided to run a variety of games that he had never played before. And it's a really interesting story. Paul does a great job running those games. I had a great time. I got to play with him in Fate Accelerated, Feng Shui 2, and 13th Age. All were a lot of fun. And I hopefully we'll get to play some games with Paul in the future. And we're going to hear more from Paul later in this episode. But first, a crass commercial announcement. Remember, you only have until the full moon, Wednesday, 20 October 2021, to submit an entry to my contest. All you need to do is tell me what your favorite tabletop initiative system is and why, and what your least favorite tabletop initiative system is and why. If that's too much, then tell me what aspect of initiative you like the most and what aspect you like the least. You can send it to audio as an audio format or as a text message. So it can be emailed to me and I'll read it, or it can be texted to me on Discord and I'll read it, or you can send an audio file to Anchor or send an email with an audio file attached. My email address is in the show notes. Either one is fine. You're playing for a $20 drive through RPG gift certificate and $25 to the charity of your choice. And if you don't pick a charity of your choice or you don't care, It'll default to my favorite charity, Forgotten Angels in Florida, which is also in the show notes. So get those entries in before the full moon, folks. You don't want to miss out on the October Initiative. Next up are a couple calls on what it means to be punk and where the term steampunk comes from. First up is Paul. Hey, Jason. So steampunk and punks. So I think uh, many of the punk genres are named such uh, because of people inspired by their literary forebears rather than anything actually punk about them. And I think uh, from that perspective, there's an obvious model in the many scandals we see where any scandal is immediately named something gate up to the... uh, utterly pathetic uh, pizza gate of recent times, but it's just sort of lazy naming. And we have things currently like solar punk, which is about the least punk, uh, punk genre that's been conceived. And while it perhaps has elements of interest is as far from punk as can be imagined. Uh, but steampunk is indeed uh, something interesting. It's um, at least in its original conception, or at least its early conceptions, was sort of exploring interesting spaces. Now, I've read uh, K.W. Jeter's uh, uh, um, Infernal Machines, which is frequently listed as one of the uh, initial sort of uh, pillars of the genre. Uh, James P. Blaylock, according to the Wikipedia page, is mentioned as another, and the only thing I've read by him is this sort of weird contemporary fantasy novel about uh, the the, the t- coins paid to Judas Iscariot with a, an utterly insane protagonist, which, while an interesting 
piece of work is the least steam and least uh, punk thing that I can imagine. And um, yeah, I mean, these days, steampunk seems to be basically, look at me, I have glued a gear unto my hat. And as such is not exceptionally interesting. Uh, but the one that uh, could be worth looking up on this front is um, William Gibson and Bruce Sterling's The Difference Engine, which, while not the the first steampunk novel, is probably the one that I read the first um, and is, in fact, an extremely interesting sort of alternate historical view, uh, utterly fantastical in its way, but still a good read, at least from this uh, many decades uh, later vantage. Oh, and of those original uh, th sort of three steampunk authors, the third is Tim Powers, who I would uh, not necessarily classify as steampunk in most of them. And the novel The Anubis Gates, which is sort of a time travel mindfuck of a book, which I absolutely loved. Uh, I don't recall anything that uh, anyone in the present day would particularly identify as steampunk. Uh, nonetheless, uh, cracking good read, as is almost all of Tim Powers' stuff. And the last one I might mention in this regard is uh, Phil Folio's uh, Girl Genius uh, online webcomic uh, published as a series of graphic novels, which bills itself uh, somewhat uh, against the grain as gas lamp fantasy, even though there are clearly, from a stylistic and aesthetic perspective, many, uh, many shared influences. Uh, but it is just uh, brilliant, over-the-top stuff, and I, I can't get enough of it. Okay, so just so everybody knows, I also script my calls. So, Taylor, you're not alone. That is not true. I do not script my calls. However, I do have a question now. Does Punky Brewster also fall into this category? She seemed to always be wearing different color socks. That seems to go against the norms where people would normally wear the same colored socks. Yeah, Punky Brewster, possibly the most punk of them all. Funny enough, Daniel, I almost made a Punky Brewster joke <laughs> in response to Taylor's call. Um, I will leave it to you, the dear listener, to decide if Punky Brewster is really a punk or not. I would submit to you because it was a network TV show that ultimately, it was not. This last series of calls has to do with Cyberpunk 2020. It's a little more lighthearted. Well, some of them are. And to answer the question that Daniel is dying to ask here in this first call, in the future, all restaurants will be Taco Bell. You know, it's funny that Carl mentions that the problem with some fast food places is that they're not consistent, right? Because wasn't that the whole idea of fast food was that it was consistent, that you could be go to one McDonald's and it'd be exactly like the next McDonald's and everything was very assembly line. Uh, so that's really interesting that and I agree with them that, that that's how it's turned out, right? That they're not consistent. So uh, yeah, well, that, that's interesting, right? So maybe society is falling apart when the fast food restaurants can't even be consistent in like where they place the pickles on your hamburger, you know, what, what's next? What could what could what could happen? Possibly, uh, you know, the the punks will take over, and uh, we'll have fax machines again, and get rid of these cell phones. Maybe we'll have cell phones that have fax machines built in. Oh, I did have a Apple Newton, and you could fax from that, huh?
Hey, I think uh, your response to my call about my concern about cyberpunk, uh, I need to kind of read through the history and see where it diverged. But I will say that I do remember having email in college, and I went to college from 88 to 94, I took the year off. So, um, yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, there there was email back then. Maybe it was only in universities. It wasn't as wide, definitely not as widespread, and maybe that's where it stayed with the corporations and the elite and then that's probably like we're like we'd be freaking out like how do these people know what what we're doing because they fucking emailed it you know ahead uh you know (laughs) so uh, there you go it's kind of neat it kind of explains a lot of the divergence and dichotomy in a dystopian game like cyberpunk i mean the i hope we don't get there but looks bleak right um, you know, with Carl's character wanting to uh, to help out that person getting beat down, I, I got to tell you, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> uh, I probably won't live very long either. Although I didn't roll that on my character, I I think once we play the 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 episode series, whatever we play, I think I'll do a podcast about this because I got to tell you, I really loved making the character with you. That was super fun hanging out making the character. But now when I look at my character, I have no interest in really in playing this character because I rolled it. I don't want a random character that I rolled. I want something that's in my head and I don't like to just play something that's put in front of me by rules. So I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm going to do it because it's always good to step out of your, uh, your comfort zone, but I like to be loose, you know, rulings over rules as they say. Right. So we'll see how I play a character that's been prefabbed using the cyberpunk, not punk rules because there's too many rules. I will say, too, that uh, I actually like that there's not going to be smartphones and stuff. One of the reasons why I don't like playing any kind of modern game is exactly smartphones. I like this, like, weird future, uh, you know, communication is not super great. Although it is interesting the direction they decided to go because um, aren't there net runners, right? So there's no email. That's that's really interesting because there was email in the when this game came out. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I remember email when I was a kid and not everybody had it. It was mostly forums and stuff, but you could ha- you could have email. So anyways, whatever. I don't care what email. But I, I actually like no smartphones. I love the idea of things being faxed and uh, all the other weirdness. And also, you know, we probably will have flying cars uh, once we are forced to go electric, you know, screaming and kicking, as you say. Oh, I guess I should clarify because maybe that sounds – I hate when things sound negative. What I mean about the character thing is that, like, I know that my character didn't roll anything about wanting to help people or that wasn't the way that my character was rolled. But me as a player would do it. So I'm going to have a hard time trying to – play a character the way that it, it's rolled for me when it's not the way that I like to play the game. That, that's what I mean by that. Not that I don't like the character. Yeah, hopefully that's more clear. I don't want to sound negative. I'm actually very excited about the game. Uh, Andrew, your little narration. And also I watched Predator 2, so I guess I'm ready. So that was, of course, Daniel Norton of Bandit's Keep and Carl Rodriguez of The Geomologist Presents. You, you know, Daniel, Predator 2... I definitely feel as a cyberpunk movie, as far as the feel of the movie, you you watch the violence, the gang warfare, the rampant crime, and you see the the way the media, the um, shock jock media that Morton Downey Jr. there portrays. Who's thought about Morton Downey Jr. recently, other than if you watch this movie? Not me. Remember when he got hit in the face when the new Nazis on his show and tossed a chair and hit him in the face, but. Anyhow, 
Uh, you younger people don't have any clue who Morton Downey Jr. is. Um, he, he used to do this um, shock jock show on uh, New York, was it Channel 9? I know Daniel remembers this, but it, it was like a New York State TV show, channel. Um, we used to watch him. And Anyway, I, I'm getting off topic here. But it, Predator 2 might be the highest, um, you, you know, the biggest thing that Morton Downey Jr. ever did. <laughs> Anyhow. The, but the feeling of that movie, I, I think, fits what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, Predator 2, RoboCop 2, RoboCop, um, Total Recall. You know, the feeling of those movies. I'm, Joe talked about how, you know, New Jack City gives you a little bit of that feeling, and, I, and he's right. Um, if you can find a copy of Hardware that has the music intact, the one on YouTube right now doesn't. And hardware is hard to get. You can't get it legally streaming anywhere. But if you get a old VHS or DVD of hardware, it, it's well worth watching uh, by uh, Richard Stanley, the guy who did the recent Color um, Out of Outer Space, Color from Outer Space. Andy Goodman likes to correct me on my getting that title wrong. But the, the recent version of that story with Nick Cage in it, R- Richard Stanley directed. Um, also did a very interesting movie called Dust Devil. But that, that's neither here nor there. What, what, what's important here is not Richard Stanley. What's important here is the fact that Carl and Daniel, you have to remember this is an alternate timeline. So it deviates from our timeline. That's why there's not the email and things are different because it's an alternate timeline. So you have to just accept that and lean into it. I think Daniel's ready for the challenge. Carl, we'll help you through it. Don't worry. We're here for you. Um, I, it's going to be fun. I'm not, my intention with this game is a thriller kind of, um, neo-noir kind of game. So that's what we're going for. I'm not going for gray moral areas. This isn't the bad lieutenant, right? This isn't that kind of movie. It's more of, you you know, you're, well, I I don't want to give the plot away because it's not totally plotted, but I don't want to give the initial impetus for the adventure away. And after that initial impetus, of course, it's going to, what you characters do is what's going to depend on what happens. This is no adventure path, folks. Anyhow, I look forward to running that game. You will definitely hear the session reports on this channel and hopefully on other channels. But that is all I have for you today. Thank you, everyone, for calling in. I really appreciate it. Thank you, my listeners, for listening. I really appreciate that, too. After last episode, I wasn't sure if anybody would listen or not. I, I guess I'll find out after this is published, won't I? Next episode, we're back to content, so hopefully I won't stir up too many controversies and I'll bring you some some neat things to think about. I want to thank Ray Otis for the clip art. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the music. If you want to be part of this show, you can leave me a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach a voicemail, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. You can also reach me on the Audio Dungeon Discord. So take care, folks. Enter the contest. It's $20 on DriveThruRPG, free gift certificate, plus $25 to a charity of your choice. And all you have to do is talk about initiative a little bit. You can even send me an email or a text, and I'll read it on the air. Easiest contest ever. Don't miss out. Talk to you next time. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone?
joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, the butcher is a dustman and your moil is quite a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. Train wreck!